There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Really looking forward to this podcast, which will exist on both Inside STL and ScoopsWithDannyMac.com. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That's Tim McKernan. And we both are a couple of Southside Hoosiers and very proud of that fact. <laughs> I, I, I'm very proud of that. I don't know if you are. Oh, my God. I live for the St. Gabriel School picnic. I'm kind of disappointed. I still have to wait another seven, eight months. Seven, eight months for the... But are you yeah, a main a contributor to the uh, St. Gabe's uh, School picnic? I play a lot of Chuck-a-Luck, yes. And usually do, 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 donate about $200 every uh, school picnic right in front of the church by playing Chuck-a-Luck, yeah. Very Is that proud the cakewalk? No, no, no. Cakewalks on Nottingham. Oh, okay. Chuckalucks on Tam. It's a whole thing. I've got a map hanging in my uh, bedroom. And the best part about it is when you get hot, then you go inside to the gym and you play bingo. <laughs> That's correct. That's You've done you some do St. Gabriel School picnicking. I've You're class there. of 88. I'm class of 1990. Both Gators. We thought that this would be uh, fun to do because we've teamed up on some business things before. We did uh, Facebook Lives down in spring training, and we're going to do some hot stove shows uh, again on Facebook, and that'll exist as podcast as well on your website, my website. Um, and the other thing that we're doing is some live events. And I, I wanted to get into that, and we're going to talk about some sports as well. But the first one we have coming up is at the Improv Shop here in St. Louis. And for fans who don't know, uh, your brother runs the Improv Shop. How did, how did that all start for him and your family? You know, he uh, got into improv when he was a student at Indiana University, loved it, became really good at it, uh, and then it became a passion. So while he was teaching in St. Louis, he was at a variety of high schools throughout the St. Louis area as a teacher. Now he's at St. Louis U High. He created the improv shop. Initially, it was in the Central West End. Now it's just east of the Grove. And he's had Saturday Night Live performers there. Uh, there are classes he teaches. And every uh, week they have new shows. And it's become a really popular thing to the point that he's now opened up one in Kansas City. I'm is, very proud of my brother, Kevin. Is he a comedian himself? He's an improv performer, yeah. What, what is improv? So I cannot imagine doing it. Like there are sometimes I'm sure people have said to you, I can't imagine being able to just sit and, and talk. And I guess for us, we're lucky enough, I guess, uh, to be able to do it. I don't know if we're lucky enough. What a joy. Enough, what a joy it is <laughs> to sit in my basement. But, but for the improv performers, somebody will yell out a topic, they're on stage, and then they just have to act based on what their uh, co-actor is is doing and that's where all the saturday night live performers come from second city in chicago the groundlings uh in la and then if you are one of the best oftentimes you'll go to saturday night live which usually leads to people becoming actors and actresses in hollywood what was the show on abc i used to watch that oh whose line is it anyway that's it yeah and that's which what was it was all about from. that absolutely right? improv which i watch and i cannot believe it's a whole thing but it's a whole thing it's pretty good too yeah he's very he's very good at it and he's got a great thing going so he has a theater that holds uh, about 150 people and uh and that's where you and i are going to be presented by bud select on monday november 12th for a st louis sports q a and the thing i love about it is the community aspect of that event because uh we have a charity that's going to benefit from that night and that's something that's very important as well yeah this one is one i got involved with in 2012 when i had a uh, health scare uh, i was told that i had lymphoma 
and for a week thought that I did until I was lucky enough to be told that it was essentially a misdiagnosis. Um, so it was an incredible week and, and a story that I'll never forget because I lived it and I remember my family experiencing that and and then I got the get out of jail free card so to speak so I always have a sense of not only good fortune but in a sense also some guilt and so when that happened in 2012 I began getting involved with a charity known as three little birds for life and they don't say this this is my way to describe it to the audience it's like a -a make-a-wish foundation but for adults with cancer because there are plenty of foundations for pediatric cancer and older people with cancer, but people in their 20s and 30s and 40s who have cancer, oftentimes it's forgotten or not expected. You feel like in your 20s and 30s you're invincible. And had I not gone to the doctor, uh, they might not have been able to detect that I had what is now called sarcoidosis. It's not cancer, and it fortunately doesn't really have any impact on me, but it does impact a lot of people. Um, and so we did a number of events with three little birds for life. And so portions of the proceeds from our Q and a at the improv shop on November 12th, will go to three little birds for life. Very important cause. My brother in law uh, died from cancer in his late thirties. So I've been involved with that, uh, from the peripheral, um, from the outside looking in, and it, it is a, uh, a wonderful cause. So Bud Light is a sponsor, and for the 50 bucks, what are the folks that come to the improv shop, what are they going to get? So they will get a Nana Mama's Pizza. That will uh, be all you can eat. And I say that with hesitation because I've run into an event before, Dan, where a gentleman showed up at one of our, uh, our parties and uh, the food was late and he was at the front of the line and then when it finally arrived he felt like because he had spent ten dollars that he was entitled to every chicken wing they had brought and he looked at me and he said load it up load it up (laughs) and i thought i might I, i might get attacked here because this gentleman wants every chicken wing in the building and uh, and so I say, I believe Nana Mama's Pizza is bringing about 50 pizzas. Okay. We think we're going to have about 100, 110 people. So if you for do God's the, sakes, that so, should be so enough. So if you do the math, you'd like to think that's essentially a half a pizza for everyone in addition to salads and appetizers. They're online at nanamamas.com. Improv Shop will have all kinds of uh, AB uh, uh, specials. Uh, Bud Select, obviously, our sponsor, and then, of course, uh, specials throughout the night. The doors will open at 530. Uh, You and I will take the stage at uh, 630 and essentially just talk about the state of a number of things in St. Louis sports, but certainly uh, many of people at this time of year start talking about what's going on with the Cardinals in the offseason, so I'm sure that'll be one of the focal points. Yeah, looking forward to the offseason. We should dive into that a little bit. as we are, are visiting, uh, the World Series just ended, so now the focus is on uh, what is kind of a, a season in its own, which is the offseason of Major League Baseball. And with the money that is spent and in a baseball town like St. Louis, the interest is high. Obviously, I, I think a lot of people would love to see Bryce Harper here in St. Louis. Um, to me, though, and I'm sure we'll get into this that night, you've got to find some type of help at third base preferably a left-handed power bat in the middle of the lineup. You've got to get a left-handed reliever. It has not worked out uh, with with Brett Cecil. It just hasn't. Now, Shreve is a guy that I think is serviceable, but is he a guy that you can bring in to, to get lefties out? I'm not so sure. And I think the number one question going into this offseason, before you get to any of that, is the case of Dexter Fowler. And what kind of player is Dexter Fowler going to be going into next season? So he's in year three of a five-year deal. And he's got to be honest with himself. The Cardinals have to be honest with themselves and say, where are we at with Dexter Fowler? And if it comes to where he says, I don't want to be here, 
I'm a bit player. I see guys coming. Then you've got to make the adjustments as you go. But that, that to me is the number one question. What can you get out of Dexter Fowler going into next season? Yeah, I feel like it's the chapter one of the Cardinal offseason. What are they going to do with Dexter Fowler? Um, if they're operating off the premise that he is going to be part of the organization, uh, then I gather that he would want to be starting, I would imagine. I would think. And if you're paying him $15 million a year, that's that's a, a pretty expensive bench piece if he's not starting. Yeah, so I, so I, then I that means the then you have your outfields essentially determined. I would think so. I mean, you're going to give Bader every opportunity to be your everyday center fielder, no matter what kind of spring he has. And Ozuna, I, I know a lot of people have made so much out of his shoulder and so much out of the comments reading between the lines of John Mozalock when he kind of had his impromptu press conference a couple of weeks ago. He, he talked about, well, you know, no matter where he wants to live in the offseason, Miami, St. Louis, the Dominican, whatever, he's got to take care of the shoulder. Well, if I'm Marcelo Zuna and this is my career and I've got that bite at the apple, he's a free agent to be, I don't know about you, but I'm getting up at 6 in the morning and having somebody, I don't care who it is, working on my shoulder for 24 hours a day. I don't care if it's in my sleep, but I'm coming in in the best shape of my life and my shoulder is going to be 100% by the time I arrive. Because I think when he showed that if he was healthy after he got the injection – that was the player they were expecting. They didn't get the player that they traded for. They got an okay player, at times a good player, not a great player, and I think he's going to have a monster season. So to me, as fans talk about, well, Ozuna this and Ozuna that, I got I to gotta think as a pro athlete, this is my bite at the apple. This is my chance to make massive money. I'm coming in in great shape, and, and I would think that he would do that coming into this offseason. This is the chance, and I think the Cardinals are positioned well because it is his chance that they're going to get much more from Ozuna in 2019 than they did in 2018. Ideally, more of the guy you saw in August than the remainder of the months. I would hope. You you would certainly hope. Otherwise, that free agent contract's not going to be nearly what he was expecting when he was sitting in Miami two, two years ago. Well, think about this, it. too, Tim. I mean, Machado and Harper are going to set – massive uh, I don't know if it'll be record-setting contracts but they're going to be big so every year that when you have a guy like that come out um, and sets the bar even higher there are formulas and ways just like in business that you evaluate a player so they may not be Bryce Harper type money but the percentage of the money that that guy made is going to go up for a lesser player let's say that's 85 percent the player that you project Mm -hmm. him to be so that means the price tag goes up so Going into free agency next year, th- this time next year, um, it could be in a, a monumental contract that he's looking at. So that's where I get interested in. I, I love the business side of, of how this all works. And I, I'm a sabermetric guy to an extent. I think you got to have a feel also when you manage. And I don't think we saw that at, at all at times in the World Series, especially with Dave Roberts. I mean, the numbers said, you know, do this, do that. And so this guy's out in the seventh and this guy comes in the eighth. I, that doesn't fly with me. Yeah. You still got to have names. You still got to have people that get you out. And I, I thought, as we're kind of rambling and going to different areas here, I thought in looking at the World Series as it pertains to the Cardinals, I love the Cardinals pitching coming back next year. Um, the way that the Dodgers um, went about their business in the trade deadline, and granted they got Machado and they got Brian Dozier and they got some big names, but they didn't get guys to get to Kenley Jansen. And it just doesn't fit to say, well, I'm going to take Dan and Tim, and I know they're journeymen, but the numbers say this, and we can have them pitch for two outs in the seventh, and this guy's going to get an out in the eighth. It doesn't work that way. You still have to have a feel, and, and that's something I think that the Cardinals will have 
at their benefit um, a lot of arms to, to, to kind of mix and match in what they want to do going into spring training. Yeah, I had uh, Bill DeWitt Jr., the Cardinal chairman, on about a month ago, and he was rattling off the starters, and he said, if you include Adam Wainwright, and this was about two days before they announced that he would be coming back for 2019, we could have as many as 11 starters. So you look at that surplus as A, potential trade, uh, and B, potential depth in the bullpen, I would imagine with some of the younger guys who just kind of have to deal with it, that they might be middle relievers uh, going into 2019. I, I would think so. Um, what's interesting is Wainwright. Now, Wainwright gets $2 million as a base, which is in today's terms of, of a guy that's been around this long, that, that's nothing. It's unheard of. Yeah. But it's 4X league minimum. Right. And and you look at the incentives and and some of those seem to be pretty easy to reach. 5 games is where it starts. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden some of the money starts to kick in. Um I had Wainwright on uh, my website scoops with Danny Mac of course. <laughs> uh and one of the things that he said is that he was going to come back no matter what. Which I thought I thought was interesting. So he knew probably two weeks out, week and a half out, 10 days, something like that, that he was coming back, whether it would be in a Cardinal uniform or not. I think if you're a Cardinal fan or you're the organization, you've got to bring him back. It's He's done a lot for this team. He's done a lot for this organization. And on the flip side, the, the team has done a lot for him. You know, there were times that he wasn't pitching, he was hurt, so, you know, and, and still making big money. That's why I think that this works. But the point of Wainwright was that he said, look, if there are – these young bucks coming up, and I'm paraphrasing here, and they knock me out. The one thing I want to have is meaningful innings. So I, I still see him, if somewhat healthy, being able to contribute to this team. Now, do I see him getting 30, 35 starts and still then having to add on to that in postseason play? Well, I, I don't know. There's a lot of mileage on that that arm and that shoulder, but um, I did like the fact that they brought him back, and I do like the fact that he brings you depth, and I do like the fact that he helps out young kids. All those things are, are pluses into bringing him back for $2 million bucks. Right. I look at it from a standpoint of there's very little risk in the deal. No that's, question. That's how I view it. On the other side of things, I feel like this is the topic we get asked so much or it's constantly being texted in to the radio show, and that is Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper. There's not even any discussion of Manny Machado, which is interesting because about four months ago, I would say everybody's like, Manny Machado, Manny Machado, not Manny me. Machado. You were never on the Manny Machado train. Never. And is that based on what we were seeing quite a bit of yes. in October? You were aware of that. So we were in uh, Baltimore, I guess it was two years ago, with um, interleague play. And I have to preface it by saying that, I, you know, I don't see him play a lot. I mean, I'll see the highlights on, right. you know, MLB Network or whatever, and, and he's hitting a bomb or he's making a great play. And I'm like, man, that guy, he's one hell of a player, which he is. Uh, so we're in Baltimore, and – there was a pop-up in shallow left field, and he wasn't even, I would say, two-thirds down the line, and it was a major league pop-up. I mean, it was hit a mile high, and it was hit in shallow um, left field. So you got the left fielder coming on. You got the shortstop going out. Now, 99 out of 100 times, granted, major league players make that play, but you got to at least go down the line. Just give me a modicum of hustle. Like, just just get to first base, for God's sakes. And I saw that, and that got my attention. So I went and talked to some of those with Baltimore that, that follow him every day in the media, and I said, is, is this what you guys see every day? Is, is this what he does? And they're like, oh, yeah, but, you know, Buck lets it go, and he's a great player, and he puts up numbers. And that got my attention. I, I thought, man, I, that doesn't fly for me for the kind of money that he's going to be making. I mean, three to 350 maybe. I, and I do think there's a suitor out there that will do that. 
And then I watched him this year, and I think the bases were loaded late in a game. The Dodgers are reeling against the Cardinals. He hits one deep in the hole, and uh, DeYoung comes up with it, makes the play, and it should have been a very close play at first. And and it was late in a very close game. And he's out by at least, Tim, I would say six, seven steps. And I thought, that's bad. That looks bad. That's bad for your team. You know, who's to say that that – he doesn't bobble it, throw it wide, rush a throw if you're hustling, all those things. Um, and, and that's when I said, I, I don't think that would fly in St. Louis. I, I think when Albert Pujols would do it at times, Tony La Russa did a good job by saying to us in the media, and especially those that were with the club that were trying to explain what was going on with the team, look, the guy's got two bad hammies, or the knee is flaring, or he's got plantar fasciitis. So if you see that, understand why, and we're giving him a pass. With Yachty, he, you know, catches every day. We, we understand there's going to be times that he's not busting it out of the batter's box. Um, I just don't think that that flies. And in terms of what it's done for him, I would hate to be his agent right now. Well, I'd love it and hate it because <laughs> uh, you're still going to get paid. But I do think it's, it's, it's really brought the market in, into a smaller base to where most teams around Major League Baseball would have said, man, if we got a chance – we open up the coffers. We're, let's let's get them. Let, you know, we have a chance to get them. Let's try to do it. Where I think now, some GMs and president of baseball operations or owners are saying, "Yeah, we do," but I, I'm not sure that's the guy I want representing my team, and I, I don't want to watch that on a daily basis for the next ten years. As odd as it might sound, for him to continue to play in relative obscurity in Baltimore this year. Uh, it may have actually benefited him in a free agency standpoint. Not obviously his team success. That team was awful, and he was with the National League pennant winners. But he was just operating as kind of this legend in Baltimore that nobody would ever see on national television because they were so bad, and he became a focal point. I thought one of the things that stood out to me was during the NLCS, not when he – you know, was thinking he had a home run in the World Series and, and didn't. Boy, that looked bad, didn't Oh, it? my gosh. But when he stepped on Aguilar – and to have people react like they did on the Brewers, like Christian Yelich, who isn't a guy that pops off. The inner community knew. Yeah, and they go, yeah, that's just a dirty play by a dirty player. You know, right. like, we're not surprised. We know now you guys are well over. Right, that's, yeah. That spoke volumes. Because I don't feel like that gets talked about. I, you don't, Guys probably in private, away from microphones, will say things like that, but not following an NLCS game. No, that's not the and, way it operates. And a guy like Yelich, uh, having seen him a lot in spring training, because we, it seems With like the, we Marlins, were, the yeah. Cardinals would play the Marlins, you know, every other day. You saw him all the time. I mean, he was a just, he was just a pro. You know, went out, did his things, didn't say anything, for the most part, said all the right things. Now he was very uh, frustrated when they traded Ozuna and Stanton was gone, and in they, he could see the rebuild and he wanted out. But that was the only time that you heard him get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And you know, to a player from looking at it, a player's side, I. I can understand. I mean, he signed a, a pretty club-friendly deal with the idea that that trio stays together and we're going to add pieces to win. And that team was close to winning. If they had any pitching, they would have won. Yeah. And that was really the only time he ever heard from the guy. Yeah. That was yeah. it. So that speaks volumes that yeah. he actually said something about that. As, as damning as it was, that's a dirty play by one of the dirtiest players in the game. It speaks volumes. Do you think you, – you said you feel like the place that they would improve – and if you're saying that the outfield is set, and I'm sure many would say that that's the case. Uh, so I'm it, saying it's set with, with the understanding that Fowler comes, comes back, back. And, and you're comfortable with that. Right. Would be third base because obviously yeah. shortstop and in John Mazalek's comments following the season, it sounds like they're still on Wong. And, uh, and then Which Matt I think Carpenter. they should be. Yeah. yeah. Defensively, you can't argue with what he did. 
uh, and then then you'd have Carpenter at first. So then this is the game that fans love to play, and I love to play it too. Then who would be that option? Well, I, I've said it for a while. I mean, I, I'm, I wish the Cardinals would have gotten uh, more aggressive on Moustakas last offseason when you saw that he, he did not accept the qualifying offer, um, and then he hits free agency, and then teams don't don't take him. Now, I, I also – that puts a red flag up for me, too, to an extent. Of, of, and it goes back to what you're saying about Machado. What do we out on the outside not know? Mm-hmm. Um, and why did he only get a one-year deal after having a monster season? And he's had a good year again this year. Um, I'd be really curious what the marketplace is for him. So, you know, he might be one of those guys that just starts going on one-year deals. And if that's the case, go get him. But um, he fits what they need, which is preferably – a left-handed bat with power in the middle of the lineup that plays a corner position, you know, so they can be creative. I, I think it's a fascinating off season. Like, you know, do you want Carpenter to play third base? If there's a first baseman out there that you like, <clears throat> is there a shortstop that you like? And he could then shift to young to third, even though the defensive metrics show that he was actually well above average um, at shortstop. But to answer your question, I that's that's where I would go. I mean, that's the first name that pops in my mind. Um, but some way, somehow, being creative to find a left-handed bat in the middle of your lineup. Which is interesting because I keep seeing, even though I kind of felt like the ship sailed, Josh Donaldson associated with the Cardinals. And I'd be fine with that, too. I, I mean, if I can add in a former MVP, I'd say, well, I didn't get my left-handed bat, but I got a lot of pop. Mm-hmm. And from all accounts, from what I hear, uh, to steal a term from... I think Mo has said this, but the rusty nail, you know, he's like, sometimes it's not bad to add a rusty nail. Yeah. A.J. Przinsky was that guy. I love A.J. Przinsky. I've gotten to know him now on a personal level. Absolutely love him. I text with him all the time, and we talk about the team. He watches the Cardinals nonstop. He's got family from this area, but then once he played in St. Louis, he followed the team, and, and obviously with his job being an analyst, um, he's got to follow all the teams. He was that rusty nail, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes I think you need guys in that, that clubhouse that you know will call people to the carpet and say, this is not who we are, this is not the team we are. You and you and you, you need to step up. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was that kind of guy. Um, I think Donaldson, by all accounts, is that kind of guy. I haven't heard that as a fact. I just hear it from rumor. Um, and if you can get a guy like that, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And I, I always go back – <laughs> the one the one thing that now when you look back on it in retrospect, if you were the, from the outside looking in at the Tony La Russa teams, now you look at and you say, now I understand why they were hated. Tony, unless you knew him, was a, you hated him. Mm-hmm. Dave Duncan, you hated him. Pujols, you hated him. Roland, hated him. Edmonds, hated him. Molina. Molina, hated him. And oh, by the way, they were all really good. And all they wanted to do was Chris win. Carpenter was not a delight. Uh, no, he wasn't the delight that you thought he might be. Izzy had an, an edge to him. I mean, there, there's something to be said for guys that play with an edge. And I don't really care if they're good with me or the media. I care about results. And are you winning? And are you playing with an edge? And it'd be fun to see that kind of that team, this team, and specifically in St. Louis, get back to something like that. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would imagine that there's got to be either an acquisition at third base or left, or left, or right field. Excuse me. That's. I just don't know how this season starts without at least some major acquisition via trade or free agency at third base or, or right field. Now they could be really creative with all the pitching they have too. So if they wanted to go out and make a move and blow a team away to bring in that premium-type player, they could 
they could get them with the mm-hmm. pitching. I mean, as you look in, in postseason play, you and it's so cliche, but, man, it's so true. You cannot have, in this day and age especially, enough pitching. I mean, my God, Chris Sale is closing out the World Series. Mm-hmm. You're right? I mean, so you, you get into postseason play. It's a crapshoot. You've got all these arms, and you see where they fit. And so other teams, and this is where I think the Brewers fell a little bit short, I – I think they needed a little bit more pitching, and they didn't do it at the trade deadline. And they added a lot of thump in their lineup. There was no give in that lineup, but yet was the pitching enough, and they came up just short. So, you know, if the Cardinals want to be uh, creative with some of that young pitching, they, they're going to be able to do that. They have the surplus to do it. I cannot wait to see. I feel like this is a defining offseason for the organization. We said that last offseason, too. Yeah, and, and, the, and, and the year before. And right. I'm like, well, they can't repeat 2016. I'm like, oh, 2017, so repeat 2016. I, but here's the reason why. The window's closing. The window's closing on Molina. The window's closing on Matt Carpenter. The window's cl- are, uh, on Marcelo Zuno, who's a free agent to be. You know, the nucleus changes potentially after this year. Now, you got two more years of Molina. You got an option with Carpenter after this season. Ozuna, free agent. You know, so that window is starting to close. And the, the thing that, that is most amazing to me, and it's just the way that it is, uh, is how. Uh, full of angst a number of people in the fan base are so i i'm curious you do a radio show um you see your text lines you you hear the phone callers come in um what what are they saying i mean what if the if, thing if that, fans brought back dexter fowler or if the cardinals bring him back are fans gonna be upset about that i think it's not necessarily about dexter fowler although it would be related i think and i could be wrong on this people want to see the cardinals spend money and, and but to their credit, they have. And I, I'm not trying to be a rights holder here. They well, have, but they haven't spent it on the right guys. So, for example, I I, I point that out because I kind of go into the rights holder thing, even though I obviously am not yeah, holding any rights. Belly. So I, I, I said, you know, do you operate off the premise that they were legitimately in on John Carlos Stanton? And 99% of the people will say yes. And I'll Trade go. Trade was in place. That's exactly what was reported. What else exactly you what Bill DeWitt said. And he and but Stanton didn't want to come. And so if you acknowledge that they were in on him, then that was one of the worst contracts in baseball, judged by most in baseball, so much so that the Marlins wanted to get rid of it, obviously for different reasons, that they were willing to spend a three hundred million dollar buy on a, on essentially a free agent, even though it was via trade. So if we're operating off that premise, and then even though I realize he doesn't get people excited in twenty eighteen, results oriented based on what happened in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. In the offseason of 2016, Dexter Fowler was the prize free agent. Now, it speaks to the market at that time, but it also was a fact. And I recall it was a, and it was a move that was greeted with, I would say, in the, in the realm of about Excitement. 80% of approval, at least. And that might be being conservative. I personally didn't like it, not because I didn't like Dexter Fowler. I just didn't like that they were doing a five-year deal for a guy that, in my opinion, didn't warrant it but I think that they were really hoping to get Adam Eaton and then they saw the price that the Nationals were willing to pay to the White Sox and go oh my god if this is what it's going to cost we got to make sure we get our leadoff guy in our center fielder and they overpaid and gave him maybe an extra year that other markets weren't going to give and got him and that's why I didn't like it but that was a spend and it also was the same year that they spent on Brett Cecil that's right so they did and they do spend but if it's and I think also it's the fact that they keep coming in second place that people say you just got to overwhelm them and the reality is and this does sound totally rights holder if, if I was on your broadcast people go oh you're rights holding but I have nothing to do with it I observe this is now so I feel totally feel that 
it takes two. And if somebody does not want to play in St. Louis, there's nothing you can do about nothing that. Nothing you do about it. John Carlos Stanton wanted to play in New York or L.A. There's just nothing you can do about it. Maybe sometimes somebody didn't want to be part of an organization or play for a certain manager, whatever the case might be, and you can't do anything about it. So I think, I think regarding the angst comment, that what fans want to see in this offseason is the Cardinals be major players for one of the big names. And I think by deductive reasoning, people are thinking it would be Bryce Harper. Um, And it might lead to great disappointment if the Cardinals are not in the mix for him. That's that's what I think it is. But there was angst going into spring training. And I recall talking to John Mazalek, both on the air and off, and he goes, really? And he said something like, it was like uh, Russell Crowe and Gladiator. He really did say this. He goes, have you not been entertained? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know? He goes, look at what we've done since, you know, since 2000. And some fans are like, yeah, that's a good point. And other fans are like, yeah, but you haven't been to the playoffs since 2015. And there are a lot of holes. And speaking of moves that were met with even higher approval than Dexter Fowler, Greg Holland, when that move was made. I thought they had the best bullpen in the National oh League. Oh, my God. One of the best outfields and one of the best bullpens. Yes. And it just was an absolute implosion. Um, so I just that's, That one that, was shocking to me. I still. And then and then he goes to Washington, and then he turns into the guy that you thought the Cardinals were getting. Yeah. I, I didn't get that. Yeah, I, I don't either. But, but so my point is I'm fine with being critical of player evaluation. I'm fine with being critical of saying this is the core, and then two years later those guys are all with different organizations. But I think it's a, a straw man to say that the organization does not spend money. And I just disagree with it. But I feel like that's the hottest topic in the market. And I asked Bill DeWitt about it. And I said, does that bother you that people are critical and say that you're cheap? And he just and it was so I felt like it was gangster. I'm sure that's not the description he would want to have it used. But he goes, nah. you mean he didn't say, Tim, I'm being gangster, but say gangsta? Can you picture that? You know, Tim, I'm glad you said that because I'm being gangster. But he said, he goes, ah. You know, I think fans expect the team to do everything they can to be better. So I understand that. That's what they do in all markets. Yeah. Uh, and he I, just kind of like, because he, he knows what they've done. And I'm kind of like, ah, that's a, that's about as healthy of an approach as you can have. Tim, I, I go through and um, I MC a lot of events for the Cardinals. Seems like weekly, at least. Uh, it, it seems like it, too. Thanks. And my <laughs> wife agrees. Uh, and so it's Cardinal fans, obviously, out there. And, and many times it's season ticket holder events. And before I intro John Mosellock, I'll do it here, okay? This is what I say, and, and correct me if I get my ears wrong, but think about what I'm about to say. If this was the resume, and I take it all the way back to 96, okay? So the ownership group of Bill DeWitt comes in here in, in 1996. They get one game away from the World Series and beating the Braves. So now it's all of a sudden there, there's excitement with the fan base back. In 97, and that's when they got LaRusa and Duncan and those guys. In 97, you had two months of McGuire, and he's hitting the ball off the stadium club, and there's like, wow, and fans are pumped. And fans are coming out to see him. In 98, he hit 70, okay? And the place is absolutely packed every night to watch him hit. In 99, he hit 65. It's packed. Now, fans were saying, well, it's kind of a one-trick pony here. You know, we're, we're watching just a guy hit a bunch of bombs. And to their credit, they went out and spent and made trades. And they got Vina, and they got Veers, and they brought in Jim Edmonds. Kyle. And Kyle. Maria. Yes. And, and so in 2000 now, all of a sudden, to their credit, they, they took the money that was coming in off McGuire and reinvested in the product. In 2001, they were in postseason play. 2002, and any of those teams could have gone on and won the World Series. Like I said earlier, it's a crapshoot. 2003, they're mathematically alive until the final weekend of the regular season. I believe we're in Arizona. I remember it fondly. 
if this is correct, so I'm not sure how finally it is, but um, Pujols won the batting title, I think, in 03. We had to wait to see what happened with Todd Helton. We're all sitting around in the clubhouse to wait, and then we come home. But they were mathematically alive. 04 was the best team I, I think I've seen in my time of doing the games. It was 20-plus years, 100-plus win season. 05. If Chris Carpenter does not get hurt, I believe that team, yeah. at the very least, competes with the Red Sox. And 05, Chris Carpenter wins the Cy Young Award. Yep. 06, they win the World Series. With o- less wins during the regular season than that 03 team you were referencing. That's right. 07, uh, opening night, ESPN in town, Sunday night baseball, Carpenter blows out. Uh, but to their credit, if you remember, in 07, to the final uh, month, they had they were terrible, and they got back in it. They crawled back in it, and it was a, a four- or five-game series with the Cubs, and I remember Alfonso Soriano hit one that's still going. And it, <laughs> it was like, well, that was probably it, and they, they, they petered out. 08 was kind of a tough year. Not great. You know, they still finished above 500, but kind of like what we've seen here recently. It was just okay, yeah. not great. Uh, 09, they got I thought get, that was a great team, the 09 team. Uh, 09 team, when you added DeRosa and you added Holiday, it was a good team. Oh, because that was the only year, I think, Dan, and maybe I'm wrong on this, where both Wainwright and Carpenter were healthy. They That's never, right. ever were able to do That's it right. minus 09. And had Holiday caught that ball in the ninth inning in L.A. in game two, they come back to St. Louis even. And I thought that team was one of the best Cardinal teams that I had seen. I realize results-oriented, they get swept, and so it doesn't have that categorical dominance like an 85 or 04 any of the world championship teams but i loved that team and as you speak to the crapshoot that proves it's the crapshoot but holiday catches that ball and i think they i think they win that series they re-sign holiday remember that went into the offseason weren't sure what was going to happen but they reinvested in the product and brought back a a player that at that time knowing that Pujols was going to hit free agency potentially after 11, you needed a guy to protect him, not only that, but also to have a fallback and have a guy still in his prime. 11, they win the World Series. 12, 13, 14, 15, postseason play. 16, mathematically alive until the final day. 17 and 18 until the final week. So my, my point is, is that we have, have been here in St. Louis pretty spoiled. There's not been that downturn of three years of rebuild or saying we're going to gut this thing and trade our, our veterans. And, and that's, that's a good thing, you know, and that's something that I think to John's point is that <clears throat> things have been pretty good here. We've been spoiled. Uh, he wouldn't say that, but I'll say it. I mean, we've been spoiled. It's been good baseball. Uh, you don't win every year. But when the Rams left St. Louis and the Blues don't make the playoffs and you are the main ticket in town and have been for a long time, the expectations are at a higher level than maybe other franchises and other cities expect. And so that's where I get into why our fan base gets so aggressively active on Twitter and Facebook and upset. They want to see winning. They expect to see winning. And that's been the problem that if you don't win, it's like, well, it's a failed year. I al- you still had pretty good years. And that, I say that I, there's no other organization that has had a run of consistency. You can pick, pick, when you pick the Red Sox, the team of the 21st century at this point with four world championships, the Yankees. Dodgers, Giants, whomever, of consistent competitiveness into September, much less two world championships and four pennants. It's just, it's factual. I was reading Rick Hummel's chat on stltoday.com this morning before doing the show. His chats are interesting. Oh my gosh. And I can't picture what Rick Hummel's thinking as he answers these questions. I'm not sure I want to answer these. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, uh, do you think, the question was, this is real, you can read it on stltoday.com. 
do you think Bill DeWitt would be willing to finally sell the franchise with how frustrated the fan base is? <laughs> and they have done so much for this town. Uh, yeah, not and I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, you know, when when whenever 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 that organization's not in the family or whatever the case might be, he will be looked at. I told this when he will be looked at as one of the great owners Ever. in this franchise or excuse me, in this city's history. You know, well, and go, go downtown and look at the cranes, okay? For that's a downtown all, that's it's, it's not so, having a lot of uh, success in business. It's so so that part that part fires me up. I I will sit there with people and say, yeah, I agree with the player evaluation. It's been really rough, especially when you see Luke Voigt all of a sudden turn into you know a wizard in New York City. Yeah. That's frustrating. And you see Tommy Pham go, and you go, what was that about? And then he has a great final couple months in Tampa. Uh, you know, Gritchick put up some power numbers in Toronto. Piscotty had his moments in Oakland, especially considering what he was dealing with. And so that frustrates people, especially when you look at some of the poor free agent signings. I get that, but the not spending money thing, and I don't even know where it comes from, actually. So that's why I go back to if they were to, it ends, even though the organization might not want to do it, it ends if they were to sign one of those two premier free agents in Machado or Harper. I don't know how likely either one are uh, or is, but I feel like that's what it's about. Like, for example, and I, Mazelak and I had this conversation last year in his office down at Roger Dean Stadium. If they would have signed Ozuna as opposed to traded for him, it would have played a role in, not that he cares, but silencing the critics because it's a perception right now that they're not willing to spend money, even though there were assets spent in acquiring Ozuna. It just wasn't all financial. And he I said, agree. Yeah. And then that's a, it's a weird spot to be in. And it's got to be really tough for guys such as yourself because, oh, but you're just saying that because you're on the Cardinal broadcast. But I know you're saying what you really think because I, I we talk about it off the air, you know? I, I, I think I'm honest in these things. Yes, I know, to, to your credit, and to I, your credit. You know, and I, I mean... By, which but I the, but I have no affiliation, and I'm saying the same exact thing that you are. And if we disagree, and I'm sure we will disagree on things, I would say it. But I just I just I, that part just drives me up the wall. I'm like, okay, so if you think they were in on Stanton, then how can you say they're cheap? I just don't get it. I also think this, by the way, and Bill DeWitt didn't really go into this. I think in a way, part of this is um, a self-esteem issue with some in the region. With when you look at what's going on throughout St. Louis over the last five years or so. Um, you know, take your pick with the Rams leaving, initial MLS situation. Of course, if you want to take it beyond sports with Ferguson, you see companies moving. And then you have Jason Hayward take what's perceived to be less to go to the rival. You see John Carlos Stanton uh, having an opportunity. Actually, a trade is done and choosing not to come to St. Louis. When fans became accustomed to David Price, obviously that was more financial, accustomed to Mark McGuire coming here, falling in love. Jim Edmonds coming here, falling in love. Scott Rowland coming here, falling in love. Even as recent as Matt Holiday within the last 10 years coming here, falling in love. And you haven't had that happen recently. And so I think that also, I think, this is a theory that plays a role in, in some of it. I, I would say this, though. If you're a fan, you have to look at, and you're, you're exactly right, are those guys saying they fell in love with the city and the fan base and, and historic franchise, and they stayed. The model changed. That model changed. And if you're a fan, you got to say, well, how did they then continue to win? Well, they did a hell of a job with their minor league system. And we're at the forefront, if not the leaders, of, of evaluating uh, draft picks and, and looking at a guy like, like, how do you find Matt Adams and say, 
Matt Adams is I project him with that swing and that swing plane and exit velocity and the weather that he plays in and the competition he plays against that Matt Adams is going to be a major leaguer. They had a formula. Now think about that. That's pretty amazing to think about some of the guys that they found. Trevor Rosenthal, they found him playing shortstop. Okay? I mean, so let's give them credit too and say yeah, the model has changed. I'm not, I'm not so sure that we're going to get fa- uh, players that are saying, I'm dying to go to St. Louis because of many of the factors that you mentioned. And I do think that that's legit. I think it's out there. Um, but to their credit, if, if they've got him in-house, meaning they drafted him, they've also developed him. And they've done a very good job in that regard because they have turned out player after player after player to stay competitive. And in that regard, they're still the envy of the league. Now the question is, what else can you get at the forefront of? Is it player nutrition, sleep habits? Um, I mean, Tim, they, they've gone over and looked at rugby players and rugby teams. I don't know if you knew this. Mm-mm. And they've gone in other sports across the world and said, how are you training your players to respond to have a better response the next day after a game? What are you doing with their sleeping and their eating and all that? I mean, they're trying. I mean, it's not from a lack of effort. So they are trying to, to be – progressive in their thoughts and and how they develop their players and and what they do uh, with their minor league system and how it all goes about Um, but in terms of going out and getting that guy that's left with one year left on his deal and saying that he's going to stay in St. Louis right now it's it's a crapshoot you know I think Ozuna's a test case you know does Ozuna say I'm comfortable here I really like it here the offer's competitive with whomever is out there that they go against and I'm going to stay here I don't know you know we're going to find out but uh, in terms of the full picture of things, there's still a very healthy business and there's still a very healthy franchise. And I do appreciate the fact that they have reinvested in the community down there. Now, they're going to benefit from Ballpark Village and from some of the things that they built, but it's still a risk. It's still a chance. It's still a development, but at least they're trying. And, and I, I say that all the time. I say I at least appreciate being from St. Louis and want to see the, the, this city progress in a positive manner at least the effort is being put forth. And for that, I compliment them. Great corporate citizens, just like what Tom Stillman and the Blues are hey, doing. I do, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, I do a ton of charity events all the time. I can't remember one time I've been to one that has an auction of some sort, silent oral auction or signage for sponsorship, where I have not seen a Cardinal logo and a sign on it. I mean, they are great stewards of the franchise, but also – trying to make this a better place and understanding that, look, if we invest in these people, they're probably going to come back out and support us. And they support so many charities. So I see a lot of what they do behind the scenes, and I also see how they treat their employees, which is remarkable. They are remarkable in that regard. I I said this to, and I've said this on the air as well, I said it to to Bill DeWitt. I said I feel like there's a parallel. No one wants to leave. With the Steelers and the Roonies. I, I think there is. You know, it doesn't, there isn't a lot of turnover there's sustained success, the very least competitive. It's almost year in, year out. I mean, what, since 1995? The Steelers Done in a classy had, manner. Yeah, I mean, or maybe it's before 95. They won a Super Bowl in 95, uh, or won in the Super Bowl in 95, but at least since the early 90s, it was Cower and then Tomlin. Yeah. I mean, in St. Louis, you've had Herzog, Torrey, Larusa, Matheny, Schilt. I mean, that's going back to 1980. I mean, it's right. just, that's, an, that's unheard See, of. See, and I, I think that's part of the business model, too, of – if you have a down year, you take the heat from the fan base, you take the heat from the media, but you stabilize what you have going because there will be an upturn of some sort of talent or free agency coming through to where it's still the players making the plays. But 
give the people the the horses to win, you got a chance to win. Yeah, I I, and I like that. I prefer that actually. All right, we've gone uh, we've gone a long time here. We have another event though. I want to uh, get into we have too. two with, great events with the with, so we we've got the improv. And All then, of this is available at eventbrite.com. We'll both tweet it out and post it on Facebook as right. well. But uh, if you want to search for them, it's Bud Select presents the Dan McLaughlin and Tim McKernan Q&A at the Improv Shop on Monday, November 12th uh, with Nana Mama's Pizza for All, as much as you can enjoy. Also with the Blues. I like this one, too. I think Hockey this, Nights. And we're doing this by Bud one Light. for the Special Education Foundation. Um, Which you have raised... So much money, almost for. four million dollars. That's in- incredible. Yeah, I told you this off off podcast, off the air, whatever. But the fact that you started a charity golf tournament in your twenties is because I think about what I was doing in my twenties. <laughs> it was hard. It was really, really hard. No, but I mean, I certainly it was great. I was playing poker. I was staying out until five in the morning. I I had no idea. I don't even know if I knew what a charity was. And you've already started a charity golf tournament in your twenties, and now it's raised four million dollars, close to four million. So the Special Education Foundation, if you come, purchase a ticket, hang out with us because we're gonna have great giveaways. Thanks to the folks at Anheuser-Busch and the Blues and the as Blues, well. yeah. uh, autographed items and whatnot. So we'll make it a fun night, and I'm sure the night will continue somewhere afterwards and probably beforehand too. But um, special education, tax dollars stop, we step in. So we write checks for families that need the money uh, where 100% goes to kids. So kid grows, they grow out of hearing aids, we purchase the hearing aids, special wheelchairs, uh, things for kids that are autistic. We've rebuilt... Um, uh, uh, classrooms for autistic children that that have specific needs. So there, it goes to a lot of different causes for kids that, that have physical and mental disabilities here in St. Louis. So that's one of the reasons that I jumped into both of these with uh, what we're doing with the improv and also um, obviously our, our special night the day after Thanksgiving. That's right. So a lot of kids should be in town. A lot of young fans should be in town. And we can make it a fun night. Yeah, it's uh, Friday, November 23rd, and uh, it's a penthouse suite that we have. Uh, it's against the predators and all of your all everything. I mean everything. Uh, it's it, it's your food and your uh, AB products are all included, and it's gourmet stuff. It's gourmet because when 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 you think of two South City guys, you think of gourmet. I mean, yeah, there's no question. That's what we're known for. It's our you, culinary arts. You, you think of Saint uh, Gabe's, <laughs> yeah, the funnel cakes. Dan funnel, and I'll bring some funnel cakes. <laughs> the funnel. Ca- I did ask you. We're playing golf. I said, did you have any funnel cakes this last year at Gabe's? I said they were amazing when I was a kid. Yeah, they've really upticked uh, recently. It, the best thing about the picnic too for any South Side fans there is that. Um, some of the great veterans of South St. Louis and St. Gabriel's come out of the woodworks. You may have not seen them for a while, but they will be there. They will be there. They will be there with the seventh grade tournament banners all up. And I'm very proud of that. I love it. It's like walking into Allen Fieldhouse when you walk <laughs> into is. seventh grade. Beware the fog. Rock chalk, St. Gabriel's. Yes. So that's all. So we have November 12th. Uh, at the Improv Shop, presented by Bud Select, and November 23rd at the Enterprise Center, presented by Bud Light. Both events are up on Eventbrite. We'll tweet out the links. We've tweeted out one of them. Uh, and so the second one, it's uh, you're in a suite. Dan and I will be there. Uh, and The Blues will be on a winning streak. The Blues will be on a winning streak. I actually do think, I don't know, maybe I'm naive. I actually think I do. That I think they're... I think they're close, but there have been some things that I've observed right, that I go, that's right, so I'm on the Blues broadcast, <laughs> me and Kerber. Now you get to know what I feel like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I really do. Uh, but uh, anyway, the, the, so the ticket, it's $300. It includes suite 
It includes all of your food, all of your drink. Uh, 90 minutes before the game, we'll be hanging out all the way through the game, and it's the night after Thanksgiving, and you're in a suite. We're hanging out. Giveaways throughout. It's presented by Bud Light, so that's available on Eventbrite, too. It should be an old-fashioned pony show at the Enterprise Center. What, Can't what wait. is a pony show? I hear you talk about that on your radio show. It's a friend of mine. All of these things are essentially swiped from my college years, and here I am still using them in my early 40s, right. which is healthy. You know, the arrested development continues. Uh, but this guy said that any night that everybody was going out and getting dialed up, it was going to be a pony show. I have no <laughs> idea what it means, and I like that my lexicon from Columbia in the late 1990s is being used by like 20-somethings now. It's good. <laughs> and they're like, hey, is this going to be a pony show at Hot Shots? And I'm like, sounds good to me. I'll be home with my one-year-old, but if you guys are having a pony, sounds good. So Friday night, November 23rd at the Enterprise Center, presented by Bud Light, that will be a pony. And the improv, the date again? Uh, Monday, November 12th, uh, doors open at 5.30. Tickets for that, $50. Portions of the proceeds going to Three Little Birds for Life, as portions of the proceeds for our hockey night go to the Special Education Foundation. This is fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I probably talk too much. That's what I do. I talk too much. No, you don't. I think I do. I don't want to. I don't want to talk the entire time. People get sick of me talking all summer. For God's sakes, well, that's I how it works. It. Yeah, looking forward to doing more of it. It'll be a lot of fun. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Dan.